Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode 21, Hunting Field Turkeys. Field turkeys are a little bit different than your woods turkeys. Now we all know that we're hunting the same turkeys, but turkeys in fields tend to act differently than turkeys that are in the woods. And so it's really a different style of hunting that you have to take on. And so this week I have a very special guest on with us. His name is Jay Scott. And some of you may know Jay Scott as the host of Big Buck Registry's Big Buck podcast that is also on iTunes and Stitcher. But I know Jay as being a turkey hunter in addition to being a podcaster. And so Jay has a good bit of experience hunting field turkeys. And I wanted to get him on here today to talk to you guys and share some of his experience with hunting field turkeys. So without further ado, let's jump into part one of episode 21, Hunting Field Turkeys with Jay Scott, and I will see you on the other side. I'm very excited this week. I've got a special guest on here with us. This is a guy that reached out to me when I first started the Turkey Hunter podcast, and he reached out to me and welcomed me to the podcasting world. And so I've gotten to know him a little bit over the past several months that I've been doing the podcast, and I kind of consider him to be my mentor in podcasting and lean on him for some advice and insight and help with some things along the way. And so I'm extremely excited to have with us today the host of the Big Buck Registries Big Buck Podcast. And Jay Scott is on the line with us. Jay, how are you today? I'm doing good, Andy. How are you? I can't believe I'm a mentor for somebody. That's crazy. Yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, you, you've helped me a good bit and you and I have had several talks about podcasting in general. And, you know, I've come to you for a few things on just tips and ideas on how to make the show better. And I appreciate your help with all of that. You've been a very knowledgeable person for me to rely on and i appreciate your help well, i appreciate you saying that and I, I think us podcasters have to stay together and help our outdoor genre of podcast rise to the top and get the uh, judy's flower pot podcast kind of out of the way yes. yeah there you go there you go <laughs> not, not that there's anything we, wrong with flower pots no not at all not at all and i'm sure there's a lot of people out there that are very interested in flower pots and they're probably looking around and stumble across the turkey hunter podcast and think well, why in the world would somebody be interested in hunting turkeys they've got to be the dumbest animals on the face of the earth i would like to see itunes or even other podcast directories change 
it to a, a, the hunting category, just the hunting category all by itself? I think there's a lot of room to do that because there are quite a few podcasts out there that are about hunting, you know, as well as, as fishing too. Uh, but I think, you know, you could separate it and have hunting and fishing be separate categories. But there's a lot of good hunting podcasts out there. And, and you've got one that really specializes on whitetail deer. And you've also, you know, on your Facebook page, you've got quite a few pictures of people with their mule deer trophies and that kind of thing and so you really kind of specialize in the whole deer part of it and i specialize in the turkey part of it but for the people out there who are regular listeners of your podcast and know you to be an expert about deer hunting that's not why i got you on here today (laughs) i know that's not why you didn't you got me on here because your show is about turkey hunting yes indeed and so they may be thinking what's a deer dude doing on a turkey dude podcast exactly well, you're a turkey hunter, like yeah. most deer hunters are. Absolutely. And I don't think it's very strange or odd to find somebody that doesn't turkey hunt too, or a deer hunter that doesn't turkey hunt, or a turkey hunter that doesn't deer hunt. seems like it's just a natural progression throughout the seasons that you know turkey hunting is a different style of hunting, but there's so much that you learn being out there during that time about deer hunting too, and vice versa. I learned this year of four or five great turkey spots that I never even thought were good turkey spots, and that was because I was deer hunting. Absolutely. They're all interwoven and connected and very important to each other. So if you're just a, a deer hunter, you should really be a turkey hunter too. Yeah, I agree. It's something that if the sport's not growing, and it's either flatlining or declining, then it's something that's not going to be around for long. And us sportsmen and us outdoorsmen are the reason that we have the numbers of the animals that we like to chase so much. And so if people aren't turkey hunting, then the sport is going to die and the population of the animal is going to suffer because of that. And, and the same thing with the deer. We all consider ourselves to be conservationists, but it's kind of funny when people who don't hunt You tell them that you're a hunter and a conservationist, and they think, well, how can you kill this animal and be a conservationist at the same time? And they just don't get it. But that was the whole thing for me in starting the Turkey Hunter podcast was if I can get one person either out there turkey hunting who's never turkey hunted, or if I can give someone who has hunted one or two or three times and has been frustrated with it, if I can give them a little bit of help, a few tips, a few stories to get them excited about getting in the woods, then this shows a success in my mind. So Definitely. Yeah, and I know you feel the same way about your show as well. I do, and can I share the story about how I came across your turkey hunting podcast? Please do. So I'm sitting on the the bank of a, a, a trout pond that had just opened up for trout season, and my son and I were fishing. And when you're trout fishing from the shoreline, it's not a lot of work. You basically right. you get your, your line set up, you cast it out, and then you wait. So wait. I had some, some time to kill. And, of course, when I'm killing time, the one of my favorite things to do is to catch up on podcasts and see what new ones are coming out. And at that point, when trout season had launched in New Hampshire, it was about the time when turkey season is also about to launch. And it's usually youth weekend, uh, the weekend before the everybody gets to go is about when that happens so it corresponds so when as i'm sitting there on the shore waiting for a trout to bite so my son can reel him in while he's chasing around the pumpkin seeds <laughs> i'm starting to go through the itunes directories and there's the turkey hunting podcast and it's ranked number one I'm like who is this guy so 
push play, started listening. And I was like, this is great because I don't have any turkey hunting podcast or podcast dedicated to turkey hunting just before turkey season is about to come out that I need to get caught up. I need to get some, some more tips in my bag and figure out how I'm going to kill another turkey with some new tricks that I haven't heard about. So I thank you, Andy, for doing that. It was perfect timing, and I've been in love with your show ever since. Well, thank you very much. One of these days when I grow up, I'm going to have a perfect radio voice like you. So <laughs> I'll get there. I'll never lose a Southern accent. That just is not going to go away, even if I tried. So It is funny. Yeah, you, you've got the voice for radio for sure. Well, I appreciate that. I, I, I don't really have a choice. <laughs> just, just the way they gave it to me. Um, uh, good deal. Well, you know, tell us tell us a little bit about yourself, and as you're leading from that, lead into how you got started turkey hunting. Sure. When and how? Yeah, I've been kind of an outdoors guy my whole life. As a kid, I'd go out in the middle of the woods and build forts where most kids didn't even know how to get to. And my dad was always an avid outdoorsman, not the best hunter, but liked to be outside, liked to shoot guns, yeah. liked to walk around in the woods. More of an explorer than a hunter, but I always kind of had this hunting side of me that I enjoyed as well. And my grandfather was more or less the person that got me into it. Never had a single family member shoot a deer or a turkey growing up, but we spent a lot of time in the woods. So they're more outdoorsmen than they were hunters. But I always was fascinated with the idea of hunting. And when I got into college, I started to read more about it and, and just give it in perspective. I'm 43 years old now and I live in New Hampshire. I've lived in New Hampshire my whole life. And people tell me that I have a Pennsylvania accent and I have no idea where it comes from. <laughs> but like it's uh, as part of my, my uh, growing up in the woods of New Hampshire part, I think, is where that comes from. Yeah. But I've always been an outdoor guy. If I wasn't playing baseball growing up, I was literally taking my BMX bike and my tackle box and my fishing pole and fishing streams all summer long. And I'd drive yeah. my bike five, ten miles out to the middle of nowhere. My parents knew I was safe and knew how to get home. And that's what I'd do. I'd literally spend my childhood in the woods or on a baseball diamond. That's what I did. Yeah. And it was great. And to this day, it's still some of the best memories that I ever had. Hunting got introduced later when it's almost like an experience that I wanted to have for myself. And I hooked up with a guy by the name of Ray Fetto. And Ray, I guarantee he's not listening to this show. And he's not a tech guy. Yeah. He's a scientist, but he was working in the same place that I was. And I knew he was a hunter. He's a Vietnam vet, but he loved hunting. He specifically loved turkey hunting. And one of the things that was kind of interesting is as I was talking to him about turkey hunting, he asked me if I'd like to, to try it out. And he was also a deer hunter. So all of a sudden, I have this mentor. I have a mentor to teach me more about hunting. I already had kind of the, the woodsy skills, but I wanted the hunting skills. So here's this guy. I'm 22 years old, and he's going to teach me how to hunt. It couldn't have gotten any better. And the reason that he really wanted to show me to turkey hunt is because he handed me a, a mouth diaphragm and a cassette tape with, I always screw this up, Ben Rogers Lee or Ben Lee Rogers. Ben Rogers Lee. Rogers Lee, yes. thank you. Yeah. And I practiced that diaphragm for one week. And at the end of that week, he came to me and said, you are calling with that diaphragm better than I have ever done. And I've been trying this thing for 25 years. Nice. I'm like, okay. And the only reason I felt comfortable with the diaphragm, I hadn't tried any other calls, was because... I was a, a longtime saxophonist, I played the saxophone. So it was like just a natural 
progression into another instrument that was a wind instrument. Yeah. Blowing the the wind over a reed is the same thing as blowing the wind over a diaphragm latex. Same kind of thing. Right. So, I, yeah. so I took to it. I was doing all these wacky calls and following all the trills that you might make with a saxophone or the, the key key runs of the turkey call. So all of a sudden he brought me on every hunt he was going on because he wanted me to call. I wasn't doing any hunting. I was doing all the calling. <laughs> I'd literally be walking through the woods. He'd stop and I'd stop because I didn't know what to do. And he said, all right, call. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was calling for this guy who had killed many, many birds and he just liked the sounds of the tone of my diaphragm call better than the ones that he was able to ever produce. Yeah. So he just brought me on this full experience and it led into deer hunting and kind of walking me through the ropes. And before you knew it, it killed a doe and finally got on the board. And then it came to uh, turkey season. And after all this practice, he was out in New York and he'd already killed a couple of monster toms. And I had got to this place that I figured had... It was holding turkeys. I had gone out there the night before and heard a roosted one, basically. I heard one call, and it was this really, really, really long field. And I think it's one of the things we want to talk about today is hunting field turkeys. Yeah. And this was my first time alone. This was my first time ever hunting. I had scouted it out. I was all by myself. And in the valley, I could hear a turkey gobbling in the morning. So I walked all the way down this field, and I was getting closer, and I was getting closer, and I found a basically a, a logging road to the back of this field. And it brought me all the way down to the bottom of the valley. It was probably a, a mile walk or so. And before you knew it, this turkey was near me. Like really, it was still gobbling. I took two steps in the woods and it was literally right in front of me. I didn't set up. I didn't know what to do. Had no clue. But there's this turkey and it turns out it was just a Jake. It wasn't a big Tom. So he flew off. I bumped him. And then I instinctively, and keep in mind, this is my first time hunting. I changed calls, I hiked all the way back up to the top of the hill, and then I called again. And that that turkey, that same turkey I bumped, came into me through the field, and I watched him walk side to side, side to side, and then within 30 yards I shot and killed my first bird. Wow. It ended up weighing 12 pounds, and it was probably the most anemic-looking Tom, that I'd, or technically <laughs> Jake, that I've ever seen. But it taught me a good lesson is that you can spook a bird, and if you change calls, you can you might have a chance if you get around them far enough to make them think that that danger that they were encountering down at the bottom of the hill is a completely different bird at the top of the hill. You just moved and moved stealthily around them. That's exactly right, yeah. So that was my first experience, and what a great lesson it was uh, to hunt a, a turkey in a field. But to watch the turkey come that far into range over the course of 10 minutes was just the hook, line, and sinker for years and years of turkey hunting to come. I bet your heart was about to jump out of your chest too, wasn't it? Oh, it was, I can feel it again today just thinking about it, actually. I, go, <laughs> I can relive that moment. And my, I had, hadn't felt that kind of exhilaration ever. I played sports my whole life, you know, winning big games. There was nothing like that moment. Like, I, this is by far one of the most thrilling events that I had ever experienced, and I just want to do this again and again. Yeah, I think probably a good many of us have the same type of story where that's what kept us going and kept us into the sport. And usually, you know, for me it was I had killed turkeys prior to me really getting addicted to turkey hunting. But what got me addicted was when I called in my first turkey for myself. Yeah. And there's nothing like that. I mean, you can go on hunts have someone call in a turkey for you that you shoot and kill, but it's almost like you're a little bit disconnected 
and you know I can't can't exactly place it, but for me, killing my first turkey, which was a huge gobbler, he's probably one of the biggest eastern turkeys I've killed even to this day. It was almost like I was just watching it. You know, it was a little surreal. I was watching it and not really participating in it, and it was kind of mechanical for me when the turkey came into range and put the gun sight on his head and shoot. And can't say that I was not excited. I was excited to kill that first turkey, but after I called in and killed my first turkey all by myself, I was on top of the world. There was absolutely nothing that was going to happen that day to make that a bad day. Right. And it's just, to me, I think when you have that experience and you call in your first bird for yourself, that's really hook, line, and sinker. Yeah. What does it for you? It's when you're by yourself and you figure it out. Mm -hmm. Everything comes together the way you hoped it would, in a sense, and you overcame some obstacles and some things that could have gone south really fast, and you still managed to get it done. I called Ray almost immediately as I was driving to the check station and he was as happy as I was because he taught me how to do this. You know, he gave me enough instruction and the first bird that I killed was on my own, not with his help, but he taught me the setup, the plan, how to address certain situations. And then there were some instinctual things too that you kind of had to play out, but it's from educating yourself ahead of time. Mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned when you were telling the story about your first turkey, you mentioned what I want to cover on this call today cool. and that is field turkeys yep. and you know the field turkeys are a good bit different than hunting those woods turkeys and i don't where i hunt there are not a lot of fields hmm. and i'm in the woods almost the whole time i'm turkey hunting i'm in woods and not in fields and so field hunting for me is a different thing and it's something that i've had to learn over the period of years that i've been hunting and the majority of what i've learned about field hunting has been trial and error yeah. and again that's what i want to keep people from having to do i don't want people to have to learn from trial and error i want them to learn just like you did from having that mentor so i wanted to get you on the call today to let you share your knowledge and your wisdom about hunting field turkeys cool field turkeys where i am hunting will notoriously come in and out of woods. So there's a good blend. Mm-hmm. And there are some turkeys that just need to be in the woods. That I can't get them in a field. You, I think these same turkeys will sometimes change their patterns too. They might get hunted out of an area. They're hanging out in a field. So it's not so much that they're like divided between field turkeys and woods turkeys so much as they will venture out into the fields mm-hmm. sometimes. And yeah. as long as they stay comfortable there, they'll probably stay there. And Otherwise, they're in the woods. Yeah. And there's definitely different tactics that you can apply to the, the woods versus the fields. But we're talking about fields today. So let's talk about some strategies on, on how to maybe find that turkey in the field. And then what you, what do you do once you have it? Yeah. So I think some of the best things that I can, and I can only talk from experience, and some of the things that I've developed over the, the years that have made me successful killing turkeys in fields and the number one thing that i think has made the difference over everything is just being patient Mm -hmm. and the reason that i say that is because every time i've encountered a turkey in a field no matter what time of year it is they always seem to be hend up they have hens with them right and a lot of times the woods ones for some reason may not be or at least they're scattered and they're trying to find a hen but the ones in the field for whatever reason, always seem to be hend up. So there is some techniques that you have to apply that let's talk about the, the first thing is that if you're trying to 
hunt the field, you first have to get to the field once you have realized that there is a bird in there. And that alone can be a challenge because sometimes between you and the field, there's nothing. There's no cover. Right. You, You can call. They may call back, but they're not coming out of the field. So you have to figure out a way to get down to an edge to have a shot. Obviously, if you're in a field in the springtime, the, the corn's cut, that's been plowed over, maybe, but it's flat. It's You're you're exposed, I guess is yeah. the point, right? Yeah. So two things you have to overcome. One is how do I get down to the edge of the field without being detected so that it doesn't bust up the hunt? And two, how do I get that turkey away from that hen? Those are the two biggest challenges. Mm-hmm. And it is very easy to become extremely impatient in those scenarios because they will hang out in the little circle with a hand or two hands or whatever, and they'll just stay there for an incredible amount of time. But what I've realized after many trials and errors is that they often will eventually, not just, not just the tom, but the whole flock will come to an edge over a little period of time. So... Right. Let me t- tell you about the Memorial Day bird that, uh, and I was hunting with my dad, and this took a series of several days to make this come together. There was a boss tom that was hanging out in a, a grassy field. Grass was probably two feet tall in some spots, mowed in others, mm-hmm. and it was the end of the season, second half of the season. Still, plenty of hens around. Still, lots of breeding going on. And during this one one venture into the woods. I had identified a bird that had called, and we had glassed the field, and at the other end of the field was a hen and a tom. And he was still calling back, yeah. and nothing happened. I could get the hen to come. The hen actually came close enough, and we were basically at the top of a field. So it was like it was probably a 400-yard field total. I was at the top of it, and at the bottom of the field was where the birds were hanging out. So we basically work one edge and try to get – Nice. Fortunately, we're at the top because the top is where I think most birds like to go. They like to go uphill instead of downhill, generally speaking. Not always, but generally speaking. So being at the top, I knew I could at least get them to come eventually. And probably within, I'd say, 45 minutes, I had that hen walking over my lap in a sense. But the tom wouldn't come within 50 yards of where I was, even though the hen was in the woods. So eventually they moved off, moved down to the other end of the field, and I didn't get a shot. Yeah. Two days later, it's, the, it's Memorial Day. It's the last day of the season, and I'm set up in the field with my decoys, and I'm calling, and I hear two groups of toms calling or birds calling. One I thought was a tom because it was one, and there was some, a, a triple gobble coming from another part behind me down in the, in the same field but behind me in a valley. Mm-hmm. And I fi- yeah. figured that was a group of jakes because of the, the tendency for them to hang out like that, where they're you know, one gobbles, three gobble. And you could tell that this Tom was still in the area, that nobody had gotten them. And it was only a couple of days later. This Tom shut up immediately, but the triplets still gobbled, gobble, gobble. Eventually, the triplets made their way up through the field and then circled back down and went back into the valley. And that Tom shut up completely. So mm-hmm. you can hunt till noon in this area. So I ended up hanging out and then my dad who was a veteran was marching in the, the parade that day. And we had basically packed up, figured that Tom wasn't coming back. He was going to stay down and deep in the Valley where all the other turkeys had gone. And we went back up to the top of the field and I called one last time 
and son of a gun, that turkey gobbled back. <laughs> like, you got to be kidding me. So I look at my dad. He looks at me. I said, what do you, I said, well, what do you want to do? He says, it's, 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 we literally have an hour left. We have an hour left to the end of the season. And he says, go get him. And he went to go get dressed for the parade. And I ended up going back into the field, set up my Jake decoy and my hen decoy once again, set up exactly on the same tree. And I literally pointed my gun and held it there right on the decoys. And when I say this, it's hard to believe, but I literally shot that bird at 30 yards as he was coming into the Jake decoy. I didn't have to move my gun. I simply just kept it locked up on that spot. And he walked into the barrel of the gun because it was around noontime. I shot that bird within the last five minutes of the last day of the season. Wow. And that was that's awesome. That was a big lesson. Yeah. You never give up on the bird. And that they'll go late in the season and go mate. But they will come back when they're done. Oh, yeah. And if you can time it right, even if it's the last day of the season, last hour of the season, last five minutes of the season, you can still get the job done. But he came directly into the decoys. So once they come back up, once they, it's like they have a memory bank. They know where the calls are coming from, and they will service those calls based off of where they remember them to be. Yeah. And it didn't take long for that, that turkey to come up half a mile up from the, the valley back up to this field where he was comfortable being and boldly walked into the field and was was going to take this hen away from this Jake. Mm-hmm. And it met its demise. Do you think that you would have been successful on that hunt had you relocated to a different position and tried to call? Or do you think that that really helped the, the fact that you were in the same location, pretty much on the same tree? Do you think that helped bring that turkey in, that it made him a little bit more comfortable? I think the decoys helped that scenario. And I probably could have set up anywhere on in that field because we had identified that field earlier in that week as a spot where that turkey liked to hang out and that it was comfortable and wasn't getting disturbed. Because when we had been there earlier in the week, we didn't overhunt it. We didn't push that turkey. We didn't try to walk around too much. We ended up kind of being very stealth-like where we moved, didn't make a lot of noise, didn't jump the turkey, didn't... The turkey never knew we were there the whole time. Even when the hen was walking over me, it never got spooked and ran away. I think that made the difference with that turkey. Yeah. Which is weird to think that you you think about that kind of stuff, spooking a deer and a deer not coming back. Turkeys do the same thing. That's very true. Yep. So I think I could have set up anywhere in that field for the most part. But I think once the turkey got to the field, saw the the decoys in the, in the, the vicinity, was a beeline right for it, right, right from there, strutting the whole way in. Yeah. Completely off the subject, but still related to your story, did you make it to the parade in time? I did. I did. Sweet. Yep. I, uh, <laughs> it was amazing. I put the, A happy ending after yep, all. Double happy ending. Packed, packed up the decoys, <laughs> slung the turkey over my shoulder, headed down back to my dad's house. You know, it was a few mile walk away and got changed and made it down to the parade just in time. It was a... Uh, and my, I could see my dad walking through, and he kind of gave me the thumbs up. He was carrying a flag that day with the Legion. Awesome. He, goes, he gave me the thumbs up, and I gave it back to him, and he started grinning. It was pretty good. That's awesome. Yep. You know, I tell people from time to time when they ask me about turkey hunting, and people, I get the question. I'm sure you get it all the time as well. What's key to being successful most of the time when you turkey hunt? And so aside from the obvious, you have to know the woods that you're hunting, I tell people that to be very good at turkey hunting, you have to be patiently aggressive. Yes. And for people who don't turkey hunt, 
they don't get it. They can't grasp what patiently aggressive is. And that is, to quote old Kenny Rogers, you have to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. That's a very good analogy. You have to know when to be patient and sit still, and you have to know when to move. And that is a very important key in turkey hunting. Not just turkey hunting the woods, but also turkey hunting fields. Yes. Hey, thanks for tuning in. So in part one of this episode, Jay talked a good bit about being patient when you're hunting field turkeys and knowing when to sit still. Well, in part two of episode 21, Jay's going to talk to us a little bit about knowing when to move. He's also going to tell us a story about calling a turkey across a creek. And just like all of us know, that is supposed to be impossible to do. It is not impossible to do. I've done it. Jay has done it. A lot of turkey hunters have done it, but it is difficult to do, not impossible. Jay's going to tell us the advantages of Wednesday hunting. There are certainly advantages to hunting in the middle of the week. And he's also going to let us know his thoughts about using decoys on field turkeys. So be sure to tune in next week for part two of the Turkey Hunter podcast, where we'll have Jay Scott back on to go over those subjects with us. And again, I appreciate you guys tuning in this week. I know you have choices. I appreciate you spending time with us. I hope you have a great week, and I look forward to seeing you next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.